Welcome to Solomon's Knot, discovering truth and wisdom in an age of information. Today we have a special guest speaker, Dr. Chris Berg of Spirit of Truth Outreach. Chris is a published author, doctorate level professor of apologetics and theology, and experienced campus evangelist. To find out more about his ministry, you can go to sotoutreach.org or review the show notes for helpful links. Now, let's get started with the show. Thank you so much, Jason, for having me on. It's always good to see you. I hope you're doing well. Doing great, thanks. Excellent. Uh, yeah, so just a little bit about me. So uh, my background um, is uh, kind of a, a, a bit of a story. Um, I've been to Lutheran churches growing up, Methodist churches, Baptist churches, Charismatic churches, Assemblies of God, Pentecostal churches, uh, non-denominational churches, uh, Presbyterian churches. I mean, you name it, I've probably, uh, church-wise, been in just about everything uh, growing up. <clears throat> and through all of that, uh, there was one kind of common thread, uh, which was that Jesus had to be the only way. And so I remember when I was in middle school and I said, after sort of rejecting God actually for evolution in grade school of all places, um, I accepted him in middle school because the, the, the situation was so bad in my middle school. And I just felt like God is the only one who's going to rescue me from this. I also had simultaneously a, a deep understanding of my own personal sin uh, and my sin nature and that without him, uh, I had no hope uh, that he died for my sins. And by professing him as Lord and Savior, I too could be saved and have eternal life. And so essentially that kind of encompasses it, but I didn't ever got a clear theology, right? So, you know, growing up, um, my, my dad was very much a, a blue collar worker for most of my life. Um, so, you know, not nothing super heady, super intellectual, uh, but they always taught me from day one that truth is what matters, uh, that truth is what matters. And that if you work hard at it, you can always get to the truth that the truth is not something that's unknowable. And so I kind of had that DNA, so to speak, instilled into me from a very young age. I happen to be predominantly Swedish in my cultural background, and my grandparents immigrated over from Scandinavian countries, Sweden, Norway. So uh, we had a very tight-knit Swedish community, and, and hard work as well as a belief in objective truth were, were two of the founding sort of principles. Yeah, it sounds great. Uh, you mentioned a few things. Um, one, I, I, I was interested to, to hear about your your uh, cultural background being from the Scandinavian countries, I, I just what came to my mind was like Geneva and how that was such an important place and time uh, in church history, especially with knowledge and truth. You know, there's a lot of issues even back during that time where uh, not even just doctrine in the faith, but even uh, moral philosophical issues were being addressed. I think Enlightenment, you know, era issues. So we're we're kind of back in that same uh, same issue or same conundrum in America which also had it, had its own fair share of that. So, um, yeah, and you mentioned that, you know, you have uh, um, definitely the, the um, backgrounds and uh, the know-how and the experience in this space. And so I think uh, being able to identify some of the issues in the culture, which is the next question, what, what do you think are the prevailing issues or is there a singular issue that um, this culture is addressing in its age and how would you respond sure. to that? Uh, so one of the first things that's become a problem is uh, the media combined with the politicization of virtually everything, every aspect of life. And um, the coronavirus is a great example of this. This should have been something that would be very easy for everybody to come around, very easy to say, 
you know, we, we just simply need to maximize the lives saved and minimize the effect to economy and businesses. Like there should be a, a place where you can come together that's not perfect for everyone, uh, but that's, that's at least doable. And the fact that it got politicized in such a way that it did, that became impossible, even dividing Christians, dividing people of all kinds, um, and then causing massive damage to the country. Uh, but that's just one thing. Um, you've also got uh, the sexuality issues, and you've got uh, the transgenderism, the homosexuality issues. You've got the freedom of speech being under attack. I mean, there, there's so many aspects to things, but I think that it all really boils down to this. Two, two fundamental issues. The first is, is that up until sort of this modern era, people had an understanding of divine revelation and truth. These things had been under attack, obviously 1800s Enlightenment, and then later, obviously, in the liberal theologians um, and from others. The problem is people don't necessarily understand or they didn't quite get what it would mean to lose that. Um, for example, do I, when I look at my house, do I see, what do I see when I look at my house? Well, I see the exterior. If I go inside, I see all the rooms. I see, I see all of this, this stuff I have in there. Uh, but what's the most important part of the house that I don't see? On, on the garage? Uh, close. <laughs> the foundation. I don't see the foundation. Mm. And if that was poured wrong, the whole thing's coming down. And this really is the mm. issue. The issue is that the objective truth, the existence and belief in objective truth and divine revelation um, is the foundation to the house we build. <clears throat> and mm. the problem is you don't see it. You don't even necessarily see how it holds everything up. Like, I don't know how my foundation holds everything up, but it absolutely does. Most people are that way about objective truth and divine revelation. They don't see how that's actually holding everything else they believe up. And so when you pull those things out from underneath people, which is what's happened, um, you basically have what you're seeing, which is cultural freefall. And so uh, really, it's, it's, we need to address the issues in culture, but it's more of the issue of cultural freefall that's the actual problem. It's the idea that divine revelation and objective truth are gone out of people's minds. You can't debate. You can't actually get in there and mix, up, mix it up with people's ideas. Uh, it gets very hard to have any common ground with people because uh, it's completely relativized. I would say that that's probably the issue current concerning culture. Um, and this is now being um, entrenched even further by the educational laws that are now being passed. In other words, mm -hmm. public education is actively teaching against these things uh, throughout all of our, our society. Uh, and it's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous because people are saying that children can make decisions that really only adults should be able to make. Um, you know, and it's just really a, a downstream effect of the fact that relativism and cultural uh, relative morality and all these things are now the norm. Yeah. Um, you know, just, just, you know, I have been in your house and what I see is uh, lots of books. And yeah. so when you want to figure out what's on That's someone's the other heart, <laughs> yeah, uh, knowledge. <laughs> and these are not books you can get at Barnes and Noble. These are books no. that you have to, unfortunately, you have to search <laughs> for them. Yeah. It's sad. Um, you also mentioned, so uh, when you mentioned divine revelation and objective truth, you were speaking from, were you speaking from the standpoint of a Christian worldview? Yes. Are you actually talking about uh, objective truth? Because that seems to also be an issue of discussion. How do we know it, what, by what standard? So this is the thing, and unfortunately, uh, this is not easy to, to necessarily grasp. It, it certainly was not easy for me to grasp. Um, I, I knew it to be true, but, but again, proving it or demonstrating it or arguing it effectively is a totally different thing. If we seat the authority to decide on truth, uh, we, one, have no justification to do so. It's the first thing to understand. We have no justification to do so. Two, it will be fundamentally relativistic. In other words, it's not objective. 
Okay, the problem there is, is reason can be flawed. Uh, many people have tried, uh, philosophers throughout time have tried to, to seat uh, morality or, or some, something objective in reason and been unable to come up with anything satisfactory. That's oversimplification, but basically where we're at. Another one is experience. People have tried to say, well, what you experience, what you feel, what you see, what you test, that's true. Again, the problem there is that uh, anyone who has done anything on experience tells you that interpersonal or internal experience can vary and shift very quickly. Uh, external experiences uh, can be very easily been demonstrated to be wrong. And even in science, they tell you, you can't know something for certain. So there is no certainty in that even then. Um, and things get overturned all the time. So again, that does not seem like a good place to see truth either. At least it's not gonna, it still leaves you fundamentally grasping at straws. You could also do it in authority. The problem is now you're just really talking about consensus of the majority, right? You're talking about or consensus of the, of the people in power. So I think most people in a postmodern setting would not even think of putting their, their trust in authority. So where does that leave us? Well, it leaves the modern man with nowhere to put his trust, nowhere to put his seat of truth, nowhere to put his, his uh, beliefs. So he chooses one of the other three and does the best that he can. That's typically where people go. Um, there is a third, though. But the problem with this, this other third one is, just like with all the others, this requires a presupposition. So for example, if I'm going to put um, the authority for truth in my reason, then I have to pre-assume that my reason will lead me to truth. I have to pre-assume that. If I assume uh, that experience is going to lead me to truth, I have to make the presupposition that my experiences determine truth. I don't know that. I can't prove that they do. I just have to presuppose it. I have to assume it. The problem is this. One, I have to presuppose or pre-assume pre or assume that the Christian God, the God of Christianity, the God the Bible depicts is a real God, does exist, uh, is exactly who he says he is in scripture, but that, that that God exists. And then I also have to presuppose that he has spoken definitively and authoritatively through scripture. So again, other people say, well, I'm just assuming my reason is king. I'm assuming my experience is king. I'm presupposing that God exists, that the Bible is his spoken word, and now that is my source of truth. And so again, everyone's got to make a decision on what their source of truth is going to be. We have to. Do we have any reasons to trust scripture or the Bible? Many. Now, we're not going to get into them here. That's not the scope of the, the talk. But for those who are curious, it's called apologetics. We have many reasons uh, to say that that is a valid place to put our faith or trust or confidence in God and his word. And so that is the source. Uh, but there's a second layer to this, and that is how do you interpret it? The problem is, is we can even get there. We can get to the Bible is sufficient and authoritative, um, although many people don't even get there, but we can. And we can still miss the boat if we assume that we can simply interpret it willy-nilly. And the reality is, is if we hold to the true Christian God, we also have to hold to something called authorial intent. In other words, when God speaks, he means something specific. He doesn't just mean anything. It doesn't mean multiple things. He means something specific to that person at that time. And if we hold to that, we're going to basically have a good run on interpreting scripture properly. But when we walk away with, from that, we then can start creating aberrant theologies that, yes, can be justified through scripture, but under a faulty hermeneutic or interpretive principle. And so I would argue that's where we should be going for our truth. That's how I would give a basic understanding of it, uh, defending it a lot more than that, but that, that's the basics. That's good. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, 
Uh, by the way, we do have some resources uh, through the website, if you go to fordcampus.org. And those are the majority of the, the top level issues in the culture. There's some drill down in there. Obviously, uh, people want to know more about different aspects of truth and issues affecting the culture. We're happy to direct the resources. Uh, what advice would you have for um, campus ministers or evangelists, apologists, people that are interacting with students? Um, and uh, how does the church also play into that? Yeah, so once we get into campus ministry and church, there's going to be some pieces of overlap in what I say and some pieces mm -hmm. that are unique. Um, uh, first off, we have to recognize with campus ministers that campus ministers are in a hard situation right from the get-go. Uh, they're typically ministering in, into, into a very liberal way of thinking. They're expected to build somehow when every single person in their congregation is going to shift every two to four years. I mean, it really is intense. And so this is one of the reasons why campus ministries are notoriously hard to keep going is because you'll have good seasons, bad seasons. You'll have hard times, good times. I mean, it's all over. So what is my, my suggestions? What are my advice? Well, because of the high turnover and the missional aspect, remember campus ministers are, I would always say a campus minister is really a hybrid missionary. In other words, they're really going to an unreached people group trying to get people saved. Like that's the point of it. You can never lose focus on that because the emphasis has got to be so focused on salvations, right? It's direct evangelism. And having worked in, I don't even know, probably 30 or 40 campus ministries over the years, and so that's sort of my big charge is you've got to disciple your people intentionally, but really hammer home the, the issues of what they're receiving in their educational system. And we have to not be afraid to go there. We have to not be afraid to essentially say that fundamentally we are at odds with the universities we, we go to. Now, we want to maintain a bridge there because otherwise we can't be on there, but we are at odds. Ideologically, we are very much at odds. And if we don't get into that, we're going to produce weak Christians coming out the other end. Uh, the second one goes for both the church and campus ministries, and this is, some, in some level, funding. Funding is always an issue. Um, and so what are people concerned with? Ways of getting more funding. Well, the problem with that is that when we're concerned with maintaining funds or gaining funds or things, and that's how we operate, what we end up doing is we end up making decisions that are either based on experience or reason and not on scripture. Uh, some churches will find that the ways that the Bible talks about reconciliation aren't meeting the needs of certain people or what are the perceived needs. And that's always dangerous. Um, you know, it's hard because we don't want to lose people, but to some extent, the things we're going through now are going to show you what do people actually believe? Have you done a good job discipling? And so my encouragement is hold to scripture and hold to a literal grammatical historical interpretation. Hold to expository preaching. If you do that, you are much better equipped to dealing with all of these issues and surviving the cultural onslaught that's coming. Mm -hmm. What what I heard was that, you know, strong, strong emphasis on the word of God and getting it clear. And then the other part is, you know, uh, people are relational creatures and that's difficult with COVID, you know, doing online formats. It's not impossible, um, but it's, you know, that touch point, that could be a whole worldview shift for that person. Maybe they're coming from another country. The only person that reached out to them was a Christian. And, you know, that I've seen that I've gone on campuses and I've seen that where, wait a second, like you're actually wanting to be my friend. And um, that's huge. And sometimes that's enough to get people interested.
that is what is needed a lot in this culture is that you're able to actually listen, even if their thinking is, is kind of faulty, you know, in relation to the scripture, how much more effective it is to win that person over to your worldview and truth, even if that's all you can give them. If you can win a part of their heart, then what's the likelihood that they're going to receive the truth you have to give? Yes, this is the tough thing and it's encouragement, right? Um, and the reason is, is because I, I would essentially have two comments, uh, but it's essentially repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, to turn away from the world and to turn to Jesus, uh, understanding this is going to cost you everything, but, and this is the piece of encouragement. This is where it kicks in. There's hope in that. There's no question. And that's a hope that Christians were told to keep throughout all of Christianity, all of the scripture is the hope in the Messiah in the Old Testament and the hope of the return in, in, the, in the book of Acts and in the New Testament. Uh, the second one is the hope in the resurrection, that no matter what happens to us here on earth, no matter what suffering we endure, um, we have a resurrection. And that is the hope that we are continually directed toward, is eternal life, the rewards that God gives uh, in eternity, eternal life, resurrection, wipe every tear away, um, you know, essentially joy is restored. Shalom, peace is restored. And we can have hope in that. We're going to stand up for, for justice. We're going to stand up for truth. We're going to stand up for Jesus, no doubt about it. But do I believe for a moment that we're going to get utopia here? Not a chance. And so that's why my hope is in the promises of God directly. That's where my encouragement comes from. That's where my hope is. Uh, it's nothing that is going to be accomplished here at uh, this time, except for one thing. I do believe we're promised to see evangelism and we're promised to see salvations. And so I do have a hope the bride of Christ will continue to grow as time goes on. A greater reward. That's good. Um, it sounded like uh, you have had some struggles and some engagements in not only, you know, getting the message out and also seeing a lot of um, a lot of challenges whether it's in you know the ministry space or even in the academic space uh, I've, I've seen it in various capacities during the evangelism and you know there's a scripture and as a 2 Timothy 4 uh, for the time will come where they will not tolerate sound doctrine and according to their own desires will heap up themselves teachers with an engineer I love where he says whether it's convenient or not it's never convenient we always want to, you know, focus on ourselves and our lives and better ourselves. But uh, do you have any, um, whether it's book recommendations or resources? I know you said that you you have a book that you just recently published on Enneagram and Yoga. We'll post that in the show notes. Uh, yeah, just tell us a little bit about that and any recommendations you can have, as well as how people can follow you and get to know more about uh, your ministry. Sure. So uh, books I think everybody should have on their shelf in their brain. Um, the Explicit Gospel by Matt Chandler. Uh, just for a very clear gospel presentation. Um, mm -hmm. Michael Horton's The Gospel Commission uh, for Making Disciples and What That Means. Evangelism's Exiles by Elliot Clark uh, for the purpose of understanding how evangelism has changed in our culture now that it's not really Christian and it's more like a Babylonian-style culture. Um, understanding the Times by Jeff Myers and David Noble. Uh, that's a key book for understanding uh, a lot of the, the worldviews that are present in our culture and how we can address them. So those would just be four quick books that I would say everybody should have. And then I'll advocate for my own book, um, The New Age Trojan Horse uh, by Christopher Bird. And the reason why I would advocate for this book is, is twofold. One, uh, it gives you a baseline theology. So it's going to give you the, a general rundown of most of Christian theology, uh, which is exciting because a lot of people haven't really had that. And it's going to do it in a fun, short, quick, and easy way. Uh, so I think that's beneficial. It's also going to make you, give you an understanding of the New Age philosophy that's infiltrated Christianity. So you'll be able to see the difference between New Age and Christian beliefs. I put them side by side so you can compare them. 
And finally, it's also going to help guard you against uh, two of the most prevalent infiltrations into Christianity in the modern era, yoga and the Enneagram, and show you how at most every theological point, they are diametrically opposed to Christian theology, Christian teaching, and Jesus himself. Yeah. And so I highly recommend everybody get it um, because I, I wrote it for people. I, I literally set out to write this book to help people uh, who are who are dealing with these issues. And you said, are you working on getting Jeremy Irons to do the audiobook of that? No, <laughs> that would be nice. Reach out. We'll reach out to Jeremy. We'll that'd see if be he's nice. To do that. Oh gosh, yeah. that'd be awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, um, sounds great. Yeah, and then in Good. terms of uh, places, um, YouTube Spirit of Truth Outreach mm. and SOTOutreach.org is our website. Yep. So okay. videos are going to be on YouTube. Uh, written content will be on SOTOutreach.org. Okay. And I would just, I would just uh, caveat that and say, if you, and this is to all the listeners here, if you can think of a question that you don't think anyone else in the world can ask, ask Dr. Berg, and he will probably blow your mind away. Uh, so I don't care if it's chaos theory or Eastern mysticism or you know, new age philosophy. I mean, I think I've pretty much asked you every single question. And I think the greatest piece of advice you gave me uh, was um, everything submits to scripture at the end of the day. So. Well, and to people pop on in on a Tuesday or Thursday, we do live streams alternating Tuesdays, Thursdays at seven Eastern and 7 PM Eastern and pop in, hop in and ask a question. I mean, I'll take questions. That's what we do. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we have fun. All right, last piece. I want I wanted to add this in. So every every episode, I'm going to ask uh, the guest uh, a final final piece of wisdom that you want to impart to the next generation to our listeners. Yeah, and, and it will be a Bible verse. It's it's mm-hmm. uh, it's one of my. You know, you have those verses that sort of just stick with you. Mm-hmm. And, and the verse I would read is this: Job 40 verses one through seven. The Lord said to Job, "Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him?" Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered, Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's and can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. And that's, those are my verses. Those, yeah, yeah those are, those will uh, definitely be ones to memorize. Uh, we'll, we'll post those as well. Um, it, it, so it, it's, it's definitely not the image that we're constantly being reinforced to see the, the, uh, the graceful, loving Jesus who just wants to be everybody's homeboy or, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, God is dope kind of messages that we see, which are good. They're better than nothing. Um, but it, it's almost like the, uh, the very authority and character and nature of God is what really has just been not only in question by the culture, but almost like disrespected. 
And yes. that's that's what it used to be challenged. It's a versus question, then it was challenged, and now it's just being disrespected. I don't I don't know about you, but I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna disrespect God. I don't wanna see the the out the the end state of that. So I think it's just uh, the judgment will come. It, it's only in the eternity where you're really gonna know the final outcome of that, you know, and that's that's the thing that the world mocks at that. That's just that's it difficult. Is. You can boil it all down to this. Yeah. Whatever you say, God, I, I have no, I'm not going to try and argue. I'm not going to claim, you know, nope. Yeah. It's what you say goes. So uh, we want to thank you for our guest and hope to have you again sometime. And maybe we'll do a special thinking about debates and thinking about interviews, thinking about issue focused things, a uh, that comes up. So thank you for your time. Appreciate it.